in harrowing detail, being detained and tortured. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Prosecutors in Belgium have charged four people in connection with an investigation into suspected corruption and money laundering at the European Parliament. The inquiry centers on suspicions that a Gulf state, reportedly Qatar, tried to bribe people at the Parliament with money or gifts. The Danish MEP Niels Fulsang said the revelations were very concerning. It's incredibly damaging to the European Union if we can be bought if members of the European Parliament or other politicians can be brought to say certain things or to vote in certain ways, that's a disgrace and it makes Europe weaker. So it's in everybody's interest that we get to the bottom of this and adopt rules to make sure that such things must never happen. The EU has warned it will not tolerate any criminal acts, including attacks on its mission in Kosovo, and said Kosovan Serbs must remove the roadblocks they've set up there. Earlier, unknown attackers exchanged gunfire with the police and threw a stun grenade at officers from the EU mission. The BBC's Guy Deloney reports. The protests were triggered by the deployment of police to majority Serb areas in North Kosovo, which don't recognize the government in Pristina. Serbia says that breaks agreements between Pristina and Belgrade. It plans to ask NATO peacekeepers for permission to deploy Serbian police and troops to the area. Kosovo's Prime Minister Albin Kurti describes the protesters as criminal gangs and says there isn't even the flimsiest pretext for the barricades. The D Dutch Deputy Prime Minister says she'll travel to Suriname to discuss controversial plans to apologize for slavery. Government and civil society in the former Dutch colonies have complained that the planned date for the apology later this month was arbitrary. They want it to come on the 1st of July next year, 150 years since the end of slavery in Dutch-controlled territories. The news from RTHK. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a very good morning to you. It's Monday the 12th of December, and this is James Ross in on the show all this week as Peter Lewis takes a long-earned break. Well, in the headlines, economists say the U.S. Fed is poised to slow its interest rate hikes this week as central bankers' most forceful moves in decades to fight inflation ripple through the U.S. economy. But a half-point jump is still expected. Uh, Saudi Arabia says about $50 billion of investment agreements were signed during the China summit held in Saudi Arabia last week. The kingdom's investment minister didn't give details on the types of deals or countries involved. Uh, the UK on Friday launched a post-Brexit plan to relax curbs on the city introduced after the 2008 financial crisis. Denying the reforms will bring about new instability, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak insisted the government is not being reckless in scrapping ring-fencing of assets held by the biggest banks to separate retail from investment operations. The FT says that investors are pulling record levels of Bitcoin from crypto exchanges as the collapse of FTX stirs fears over the safety of their assets. Uh, last month, investors pulled over 90,000 Bitcoin, worth a total of close to $1.5 billion. 
And as we've been hearing, a Belgian judge yesterday charged four people in an alleged corruption scandal involving World Cup host Qatar and the European Parliament. Authorities seized €600,000 in cash in what appears to be one of the most significant corruption cases seen in the European Parliament. Uh, the allegations come as the World Cup semi-finals and finals are still to be played. And the World Trade Organization has found that tariffs on steel imports imposed by the U.S. under former President Trump violate global trade rules. Mr. Trump had claimed national security concerns when he announced the new border taxes in 2018, sparking a wave of trade fights around the world. The WTO rebuffed that argument, saying the duties did not come, quote, at a time of war or other emergency. Well, we'll be joined on the show today by Alex Wong, director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company, and Ken Wong, Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investment. And later on, we'll take a view from mainland China with Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kaiyuan Capital. Well, don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK. THK Radio 3 and on Twitter we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, let's have a quick look at the markets and starting on Wall Street. The S&P 500 closed slightly lower on Friday as the November payrolls report fueled expectations the Fed would maintain its path of interest, interest rate hikes to combat inflation. The Labor Department's jobs report showed non-farm payrolls rose by 263,000 above expectations of 200,000 and wage growth accelerated even as recession concerns increased. U.S. unemployment rate remains unchanged, as expected, at 3.7%. The S&P lost 0.7% to 3,934. The Nasdaq down 0.7% to 11,004. The Dow Jones losing 0.9% to 33,476. European stocks finished higher Friday with the Stocks Europe 600 index growing 0.84% to 439.13. The DAX up uh, three quarters of 1% to 14,370. The French CAC 40 up 0.5% to 6,677. And the FTSE flat at 7,476. A banking company, Credit Suisse, saw the largest increase as shares increased 6.8%. Hong Kong shares closed sharply higher on Friday, building on big gains for the week, boosted by investor optimism about China's reopening from strict COVID control measures. The Hang Seng jumped 2.3% or 450 points to 19,900. The Shanghai Composite climbed 0.3% to 3,206, while the Shenzhen Composite added 0.6% to 2,075. Tokyo's Nikkei 225 closing up 1% at 27,901. Turning to commodities, Brent crude down just a fraction at $77.10 a barrel. Copper down slightly at $387.85 a pound. Uh, spot gold currently up half a percent at $1,810.70 an ounce. 
The US 10-year bond currently showing a yield of 3.58%. And in currencies, the euro buying a dollar and five cents. The US dollar standing at 1.3, rather 136.56 Japanese yen. The pound is buying 9.54 Hong Kong dollars at the moment. And the yuan standing at 6.95 against the US dollar. Uh, Bitcoin currently at $17,119.30. As we mentioned earlier, investors have been selling Bitcoin after the collapse of FTX. And the price has plunged 64% uh, so far this year. Just looking quickly at the Nikkei 225, currently 27,901. The S&P AXX 207,161, down uh, 0.72%. Okay, so let's turn to our guest now, and I'm pleased to welcome, uh, as normal on a Monday, uh, Alex Wong, who is Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company, and uh, Ken Wong. Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investment. Uh, good morning, guys. Good morning. Uh, nice to have you on the show. And uh, thanks uh, for getting up early on a Monday morning, as you normally do, Alex. Um, let's uh, just dig straight into those headlines. And perhaps let's start with the um, expected Fed rate rise, uh, in uh, which is likely on Wednesday. I think uh, we're looking at probably half a percent, um, not perhaps as high as was previously expected. Alex, uh, your thoughts? Yes, I think uh, this is uh, well expected and I think uh, the Fed will raise uh, by uh, half a percent. And the market actually will be extremely sensitive to new set of uh, inflation data because right now I think uh, the market is expecting a recession to happen in the US uh, next year. And whether we would have a room for slower pace of rate cuts uh, depending a lot on the pace of inflation. So I think the uh, market will be extremely sensitive to the um, new sets of inflation data. And currently, I think the market probably would still be quite um, uh, bearish for those uh, companies which are more reliant on the macro economy like uh, oil or, 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 or megatech. I think uh, they probably would be still underperforming the market. Kim, what do you think? Yeah, the fact is, is that what's going to be important is about what's going to come out from the Fed minutes and specifically from the comments which are going to be made by Jerome Powell as well as some of the other Fed governors. Because ultimately, we do feel that inflation will start to creep back down during the first to uh, second quarter of next year. In particular, you know, you do have some of that low base and or actually high base effect uh, moving out. But we still do expect for inflation to be roughly around five to about five and a half percent for 2023 in the U.S. So while there is potentially some room uh, for a slower magnitude of interest rate rises in 2023, it's going to be very important to see, you know, not just only about the inflationary data, but also looking at the employment figures and then looking at some of the various industrial productions, looking at some of the employment figures to see, you know, where things are. And then ultimately we can see whether or not the Fed will actually start to, uh, you know, reduce some of those magnitude when it comes to uh, borrowing costs in the U.S. 
I mean, we are only two weeks away from uh, the end of the year. It's uh, getting uh, very close and the holidays in between. Uh, throwing forward um, you know, to 2023, and you talked a little bit about that already, but uh, are you feeling optimistic, Ken, about, um, about the new year? Yeah, the fact is, is that when you look at where we see opportunities, we think that in particular here in Asia, in particular when you look at the Chinese markets and, you know, as a whole, you know, it has underperformed for the past couple of years. So when we look at it from purely from a valuation perspective, when you look at countries like uh, MSCI China, uh, they're trading roughly around 10, 10 and a half times forward earnings. When you look at uh, the A share markets with the CSI 300, it's trading roughly about 11, 11 and a half times forward earnings. So despite the strong rise that we saw last week for a lot of Chinese stocks, we still do see a lot of opportunities. You know, we'll be a bit more mindful and careful of some of the markets that's done very well. And particularly, you know, when we talk about potential Essentially, if there is going to be, let's say, uh, further slowdown in growth in some of the developed markets, we would be a bit more careful about some of the investments there, especially given the fact that developed markets, in particular the U.S., have outperformed so much in the past couple of years. So be mindful, but then look for opportunities as well, because there are definitely markets here in Asia which are trading well below their intrinsic value. Alex, is that a sentiment that you would agree with uh, looking into the new year? I think at least uh, in the in the first quarter, uh, I think that people will be more optimistic towards China because right now uh, China is um, going to reopen its economy. I think this is a well perceived uh, move uh, by the um, by the governors. So I think uh, market would be more optimistic towards China at least in the first quarter. Now, um, some happenings uh, around crypto at the moment. Um, the FT saying that investors are pulling record levels of Bitcoin. And, uh, um, you know, we've seen a collapse uh, of the price of Bitcoin, 64% this year. Is that is that an indicator of, of anything uh, beyond uh, investor panic, would you say, Alex? Oh, I think uh, this is quite natural because um, um, there's no... This this is this is not much protection from 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 crypto investors uh, on, on those exchanges, so that's why I think they are pulling out of their uh, their money. Uh, right now, I think uh, people would 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 not have too much of appetite towards this sector. Uh, so, but I don't think uh, the the weakness in crypto would spill over to other risky assets because um, this is not a very large asset class, uh, and people probably would just diversify a little bit into this. So, I think uh, the overall impact would not be that much. But I think uh, crypto probably would be still in the winter for quite some time. Is there a few people maybe saying maybe it's time to buy? Uh, if 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 you want to buy, I think uh, you you would just allocate a few percentage of your portfolio into this. So that would mat- not matter much. Ken, are you into crypto? For us as a firm, we're not. Um, the fact is, is that when you look at the underlying and specifically, you know, various central banks still, you know, not really, uh, you know, putting their foot down when it comes to, uh, you know, approving cryptocurrencies, that creates a lot of, uh, you know, sort of uncertainty. And because the fact is, is that when there's a lot of speculation, when, you know, a lot of the, you know, purchases previously has been, you know, really focused on sentiment, you know, you have to be a bit more mindful, you know, having a couple percent, you know, as a as a hedge, as an alternative asset, you know, some investors can do it. You know, we don't advise clients on doing this, you know, for something that we're not entirely sure of, you know, what the underlying value is. So investors do have to be careful. Um, you know, they can have specifically, you know, a, a very small portion. But from our point of view and from our investment point of view right now, you know, we don't actually hold anything uh, when it comes to cryptocurrencies. Is there a thought that maybe rules should be further tightened and, you know, to prevent these kind of things happening as they as they have happened? Yeah, I mean, you, you have the positives and the negatives, right? The good and the bad. The fact is, is that 
the the good about cryptocurrencies is is because of some of the lack of regulation. Some people feel that you know this is really very much an alternative currency. But the fact is is that because you don't have specific regulations, that creates a lot of uncertainty, and you know people who then will speculate a lot more, and then you have a lot more sentiment related buying, you know, sort of either on the way up or you know sort of you know free flow selling on the way down as well. So that's why you know you have the good and the bad. But ultimately, you know with more regulatory uh, alignments, specifically, you know, with more central banks, let's say, uh, you know, put, giving their uh, stamp of approval, that could boast, you know, sort of overall sentiment for cryptocurrencies. But at the moment, you know, we're kind of stuck in limbo right now. And hence, that's why you have these large swings, both on the up end as well as on the downside. Turning to um, to Europe and, uh, well, the UK, not so much part of financial Europe anymore, but um, the UK on Friday uh, launching a post-Brexit plan to relax curbs on the city introduced after the 2008 uh, financial crisis. And it looks like they're going to scrap the ring-fencing of assets held by the biggest bank uh, to separate the retail from investment operations. Um, Alex, what, what are your thoughts? You know, do you think this has any impact? I guess in Europe, but uh, more widely. Uh, I think uh, Europe probably would still um, underperform uh, other markets because the people probably would be still quite concerned about the overall um, economy over there. Because right now, I think recession fear is uh, is the theme in the overseas market, and I think uh, Europe probably would be more risky than than other developed markets uh, because of the geopolitical situations there. And I think the UK doesn't matter much because right now, I think after the Brexit, uh, the ties actually are weakening. So uh, that will not help much. Ken, you, you thoughts on uh, on Europe? Yeah, the fact is, is that when you look at overall European equity markets, um, with most of the developed markets there outside the US, uh, you know, there, the fact is, is that, you know, where we are seeing opportunities right now is not necessarily within Europe. The fact is, is that, you know, you're still in a situation where the ECB in particular is still in a very much, um, you know, raising interest rate cycle. Specifically, when you look at inflationary numbers, they're still, you know, fairly high. So that's why there's still a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the monetary policy side. And then ultimately on the fiscal policy side, because a lot of the countries are running, you know, fairly big fiscal deficits. There's uncertainty as to, you know, how uh, how much the various European governments will be able to spend on the fiscal policy side in the next few years. That's going to have some uh, investors, I would say, a, a bit more concerned about what they're going to do. But ultimately, when it comes to investing, especially, you know, when it comes to developed markets, the very much focus is going to be on earnings, earnings growth potential in the next couple of years. And then also, you know, looking at companies and their free cash flows and their growth potential as well. So those are things you have to look for when it comes to opportunities. But when we look at it from a global perspective, we still do see better opportunities here in Asia because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, people are chasing for opportunities for growth, mm -hmm. earnings, you know, and better free cash flows. I guess, Alex, the um, the UK is trying to make itself a, a financial centre even more by um, you know taking off the curbs on uh, uh, bankers' bonuses, you know, re reducing some of that regulation uh, and so on. Do you think that could be an ex an effective strategy? Well, I think uh, after the Brexit plan, I think uh, uh, many many FI actually are trying to diversify their base. So this is uh, a policy which would help, but I think uh, probably a little bit delayed. Okay, yeah. Now, um, the World Trade Organization finding that uh, tariffs on steel imports imposed by the U.S. under former President uh, uh, 
uh, Trump uh, violated global trade rules. Interesting story, this one. Um, you know, Mr. Trump had claimed national security concerns when he announced the new border taxes in 2018, sparking that wave of uh, trade fights. But the, re- uh, the WTO uh, saying the duties did not come, quote, at a time of war or other emergency. Um, could could it be that we see some of the rollbacks on on some of these tariffs? Do you think, guys? Do you think, or or is uh, President Biden likely to um, stick with it? Do you think, and, and dig his heels in? Uh, Ken, your thoughts on that? Well, the fact is, is that you know uh, what WTO says. I think a lot of times right now, you know, some of the countries, especially, will you know take that into consideration. But ultimately, you know, each one have their own specific sovereign uh, territories to try to protect. And so, in, in this particular case. You know, we don't expect to see any meaningful rollback from the U.S. You know, they're still going to go through diplomacy when it comes to, uh, you know, having negotiations with various countries. Ultimately, you know, when we look at the whole U.S.-China relationship. So, you know, while even though WTO has, you know, kind of come out with this note, the fact is, is that the U.S. and China are still going to be in negotiations for a lot of different things, uh, you know, for the next couple of years, um, you know, under the current administration to see whether or not, you know, there can be, you know, some negotiating plots between both countries to you know try to stand you know and have better deals with each one uh, with each other alex um do you do you, do you feel that um we may be lessening the trade war a bit perhaps uh probably still not too much i think uh, uh u.s china region was was a bit tense i think uh especially towards the um higher tax uh uh, um, technologies. So I think uh, this will not help much. I think uh, the trade war will still be co- going on. I think uh, the relationship will be still be tense. Great. Well, thanks, guys. Alex Wong, uh, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company, and Ken Wong, uh, Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investment. Money talk on RTHK. Okay, well, we'll now dig into our view from China and welcome uh, to uh, the program, as we normally do. Uh, Brock Silvers, uh, Chief Investment Officer at Kion uh, Capital. Uh, Good morning, uh, uh, Brock. How are you? Good. Good to be back with you again. Absolutely. Thanks for for joining us on the show. And we were just talking there about the um, the WTO uh, saying that some of President Trump's um, tariffs, um, you know, were perhaps uh, not put in place quite right. Um, what's what's likely to be the effect on China? Do you think there's a, a big impact of um, you know that WTO uh, uh, quote? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect that there would be. I think that the Sino-U.S. relationship right now is a bit, uh, a bit tense, a bit fraught, and I also think that the that the standing of WTO, at least in the U.S., is not at an all-time high. And if I were the WTO, I'd be very careful about running up against a a, a building political wave in the U.S. Now, um, last week uh, we saw President Xi uh, in Saudi Arabia, and um, subsequently it seems that uh, up to $50 billion of uh, trade deals have been announced between uh, the two countries. Um, Is that important, do you think, to China's further growth? Is is that a a mainstay of um, what President Xi needs to do? You know, I actually saw this as as the big China story for me last week. Um, 
you know, from my point of view, China's energy realist. It doesn't really care all that much about global warming, carbon reduction. It's fixated on um, energy security, which I think is tactically smart. And it's doing this as the U.S. is moving in the other direction. Now, China's busily building carbon capacity and striking global deals. And moreover, we should note that these energy purchases from Riyadh will be done via RMB, RMB trades. Now, that's the real significant bit. I think de-dollarization is a, is a real threat to U.S. global leadership. And I think Beijing knows this. It's the only reason the U.S. can run silly trillion-dollar deficits. Um, and I just think what happened in Saudi Arabia last week was a, a very good thing for China and a very bad thing for the U.S. Um, it seems that quite a few countries are now uh, making overtures again towards China. Uh, we've seen uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern on Friday saying that she hopes to lead a trade mission uh, to China once border settings are changed to allow travel uh, to what is um, her country's biggest trading partner. Are we going to see quite a lot of countries um, you know, looking towards China once more as a potential driver of their own economies? Well, I think New Zealand's in a bit of a in a bit of a unique case. Uh, more than 25 percent of New Zealand exports go to China, so there's a, a really a strong incentive to maintain good relations. Um, but I also think that happens in a broader context where trade is down, as we saw in the data last week, as well as I think a more strident global positioning vis-a-vis China. Um, so I'm not sure that New Zealand's move towards uh, better trade relations will really be indicative. But I do think that in 2023, we're likely to see a formal visit from New Zealand to China, which I'm sure will please China. Now, on Friday, we saw the announcement of the first uh, delivery of China's new domestically produced passenger jet with um, the aircraft expected to make its commercial debut early next year. Uh, Beijing hoping that the C919 commercial jetliner will challenge foreign models like the Boeing 737 MAX and the Airbus A320. I guess this is seen as quite a milestone uh, for China, right? Well, in some ways it is. Look, it, it, in a larger perspective, over uh, you know over 20 years or 30 years, China's manufacturing capacity has certainly uh, increased beyond anyone's anyone's expectation. Um, but the homegrown jetliner industry isn't really the. I don't see it as the same sort of threat as as let's say de-dollarization would be. Um, I also suspect there's a bit of puffery in the reported sales order data. Um, so it's likely to take off, I think, in uh, in kind of lower-tier third-world countries. China itself is a big consumer. But, but I, as a, as, uh, as a customer, I'm not overly excited about the prospect. Um, and I suspect this isn't the issue that keeps Boeing execs up at night. <laughs> Well, we shall see. Um, thanks very much, uh, uh, Brock Silva, uh, joining us uh, with his view from the mainland. Uh, Brock is Chief Investment Officer at uh, Kayan Capital.
And let's also say thank you uh, to our other guests on Money Talk today. Alex Wong, a director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management Company. And Ken Wong, Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investment. Money Talk will be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, let's take a quick look at the weather now. Uh, mainly cloudy and dry, cool this morning and at night. Sunny intervals during the day with a maximum temperature of around 19 degrees. Moderate to fresh northerly winds, occasionally strong offshore. Uh, the outlook rather cool and cloudy with a few rain patches midweek this week. Temperatures falling further during the weekend. Currently, it's 15 Celsius, 64% relative humidity. Uh, Mike Rouse and Jim Gould will be here with Back Chat uh, in just a few moments from now. Uh, it's now 8.30. And with the news headlines, uh, here's Andrew. From the Hong Kong Anti-Cancer Society has urged the government not to allow an increase in COVID cases disrupt support for cancer patients. Dr. Rico Liu was commenting after the society found 60% of 250 caregivers it surveyed were depressed and showed increased anxiety levels amid the pandemic. Hong Kong reported nearly 15,000 new COVID cases yesterday, a level not seen since the fifth wave in March. At the peak of infections previously, public hospitals scaled back services for non-emergency patients. Dr. Liu cautioned against this. I think the government can do more at the point of ensuring the community support and community resources stay open even in the future, during whatever pandemic that might happen again. Because during this pandemic, there are facilities that's closed, that's changed in the opening times. That reduces the community support to the carers. So I think the government can make sure in the future to keep those facilities, keep those resources open for the carers. One of China's top health experts has warned of a surge in COVID cases in the wake of the government's decision to roll back some strict coronavirus measures. Zhang Nanshan called for a scale-up in vaccination efforts ahead of an expected increase in domestic travel during the Spring Festival in late January. Vicky Wong reports. Top epidemiologist Zhong Nanshan told Xinhua News Agency that the Omicron strain of the virus prevalent in China was highly transmissible and could lead to a surge in cases. He said the current strain was very contagious, with one person able to transmit to 22 people. He said there was a pressing need to step up vaccination efforts across the nation, asking seniors and people with underlying health conditions in particular to get vaccinated. Shops and restaurants in Beijing are deserted as the country awaits a spike in infections following the decision to reduce the scope of mandatory testing, allow some positive cases to quarantine at home and end large-scale lockdowns. Health officials in Hong Kong and across the border have cautioned people against stockpiling COVID medication. Yesterday, Secretary for Health Lo Chung Mao sought to ease fears of a shortage of paracetamol in Hong Kong, saying public hospitals had plenty of stock. In Guangdong, local officials said they were monitoring the supply of medicines as long lines sprung up outside pharmacies. This Guangdong pharmacist reassured customers over supplies. There have been times when we've run out of stock because demand has significantly increased. But we have made some adjustments. So if we run out of certain items, they will be restocked the next morning. 
The U.S. has taken custody of the Libyan man suspected of making the bomb that destro- destroyed an American plane over the Scottish town of Lockerbie in 1988. It gave no information on how Abu Ajayla Masood was arrested. Stephanie Bernstein, whose husband died in the attack, welcomed the news that one of those suspected of killing 270 people could face justice in the U.S. I thought I was dreaming. I did not think it was real because of the chaotic situation in Libya, because the U.S. has no extradition treaty with Libya, because there are a number of militias who are controlling various aspects of life in Libya. I would say that most of us were were quite pessimistic that this man would be brought to the U.S. to stand trial. NASA's uncrewed Orion capsule has splashed down in the Pacific, ending its three-week test mission around the moon. The space agency aims to return astronauts there and will focus on how Orion's heat shield coped after sustaining high temperatures on re-entry. Jim Free is from NASA. I think we've learned that our vehicle and launch vehicle have performed incredibly well. The tests that we had planned to do on it exceeded